Good morning, one and all. We greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior. Glad you're here. And we greet any of you who might be following us today on the uh, Internet and uh, those who might be following us in the future. We greet you, too, as you come on. Uh, we finally have gotten on the program. Uh, my son-in-law had reminded me several times that we could upload notes into the system. And so finally, uh, I have done so. So the notes that I'm using today are up to, up to date in the, in the uh, series that we've been working on of looking to the future, concerning Israel's future, and that's uploaded to the date. Now, I, every time I do a new segment of it, I will update the entire file. Also, everything else I've done since I've been down here, and uh, I think all of it pretty much is on, so you can go to the church website, and you, and you can check on where it says View Files, and you can download notes and mine are all under a file under my name, Don Hewitt. So anything I've done, if, if you want to see the notes, if you have an interest in what we've done in the past, or uh, anything you might want, they're all there. And so, and there are other notes on there too. So if you really want to see what's going on at the church and get the notes, uh, whether you're here or not, you can get them. And it's, it's, a real, it's a real blessing, I think, and a real ministry that uh, it's extended beyond just this morning. And I'm glad for that. So as we start this morning, let's open in, in just a word of prayer, and then we're going back to another segment and looking at the, the law, that will be, some of the laws that will be in effect in the Millennial Kingdom. Heavenly Father, today again, we are very thankful for the privilege of meeting together. We're very thankful that still to this moment, uh, we, can, we can teach and preach the Word of God without interference from the government. That may not always be true. We know that the early church paid for the privilege that we had with blood. They had to hide. They had to do many things that we have not had to do. And we're so privileged that we can't help but be grateful for all of the opportunities that we have and are still there with the Internet, with, the, with all of the programs that we can do. We, Father, we're thankful that this is going to continue, at least for the foreseeable future, if it's your good, if it's your good pleasure. We ask today that as we look into these things, that the Spirit of God might be our teacher and that we might rejoice together in the things that God is doing and will be doing in the future. We ask now in our Savior's name. Amen. Now, we are looking at something that, uh, in some ways, I think you could say it seems a little bit out in left field, as it were. Why are we concerned about the Millennial Kingdom? Well, I think the reason we're concerned about the Millennial Kingdom is because it's in Scripture. That ought to be a good enough reason for me. And so we're looking at something that perhaps uh, many places don't touch. And the reason is I think a lot, of, a lot of church groups do not really understand or really believe that there's going to be a millennial kingdom. And they don't think that it's going to be any different than what we know. Well, we're, I think people are in for a surprise because what we know in the American society and what we've taken for granted, any place else in the world pretty much doesn't exist. And we don't always realize that. But even more so when we get to the millennium, what we know today is not going to be true at all. So I put in our notes, and this is a section on page 24. The, the nature of the new laws that King Jesus will enact for the millennial kingdom are not suited for the current world system nor for American society. Now, stopping at that point, you might want to, put in your, you might want to write in your, in your margin Revelation 18, verse 3. Because that tells you, that verse tells you, that what we know as the world system is not going to be here in the millennium. By the end of the tribulation, the world system, government, education, entertainment, 
science, everything, transportation, communication, it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be destroyed. And so it's going to have to be built from the ground up. And the society that we take for granted is not going to be here. Now, that's not going to affect us as believers because we're going to be changed, we're going to be raptured, we're going to be entirely different than we are now. But there will be people who are alive that come in out of the tribulation, and as they come into what's going to be the mental kingdom, you have nothing. It's, 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 it's a ground zero. Now, sometimes I like to think that I'd like to be able to do that with our government is wipe it out and start over again. But in the millennial kingdom, they will have to do that. So... We go on in our notes, it says, while this study has not considered what the millennial kingdom will be like, it is hard to avoid. As the study moves to the law concerning retribution for certain crimes, it becomes obvious that the millennium will be vastly different from anything American believers know. For that reason, after the study, after we finish the study on, of the revealed kingdom laws, and there are some revealed, we're in Matthew chapter 5, looking at those things, by taking scripture literally, we can see these are laws for the kingdom. And so when we get finished with that, uh, we, will, we are considering, we may look at what the law, what the scripture reveals about what life will be like in the millennial kingdom. Now that's going to be a harder study to do if we do it, and I'm not going to commit myself to it at this point, but I'm tending to think that it'd be interesting to do to see what we can find from scripture about what life in the millennium will be like. Because all I can tell you for sure is it's not going to be the world system that we know today. You can rub all that out and change it also. What is going to be there in place of it? Well, in fact, when we look at this next law concerning certain crimes, of necessity, you're going to see something about what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. And so this kind of has forced me in that general direction. I hadn't planned on going there, but this is kind of pushing me in the general direction of, well, what is it going to be like? Because we're going to see the millennial law concerning certain penalties. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38 through verse 42. Now you'll notice in here that the divisions of the laws, if you wonder how we divide them, every time Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say, he's starting a different law, starting something new. So here we go in verse 38. You have heard that it's been said of old, or you've heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn unto him thy other also. And if a man will sue thee at law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asks, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. So here you have a system concerning certain crimes, certain things that would go to law. Now again, as we've been saying all along, when Jesus said, you've heard that it's, that it's been said, it's not that he's saying that this is some scuttlebutt you've heard somewhere. You might have heard this down at the local uh, eatery or the local pub when you stop off, if you stop off at pubs after work. No, this is what you would have heard read in the synagogue or in the temple. But please remember, uh, these people didn't have the privilege we do. You know, we can get a Bible anywhere. You can go to the dime store and buy them for a Dollar Tree used to have them for a buck. I think they probably still do. We have them all over the place, but in the, in the early church and in Old Testament, they didn't have printed paper. They didn't have, it was all done by hand. It was done on papyrus. Or if somebody was really rich, they would get leather and have it done on that. And it cost a lot of money. So it's fair to say that most Jews, and even in the early church, 
they didn't have their access to scripture, so they would have heard it read. So you've heard that it's been said, so they would hear it being read, and they would know the scripture from that. Now, in, when Jesus said an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, he did quote the first half of Exodus 21, verse 24. It says eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, you know, foot for foot, and so forth. And this is a law of retribution. Now, here's where we're starting to see that the millennial kingdom, how it operates, how it's set up, it's going to be a lot different than what we know. Because the millennial government, and this gets into the legal part of it, is going to be entirely different from what we know. Because the government that we're used to in the legal system comes out of Roman, the Roman system of law. Now, the millennial kingdom, you'll notice I have on your notes in the bottom of page 24, the millennial kingdom is going to designate penalties for crimes that will be built off of the Mosaic law. And that's a theocracy. The Mosaic law is designed to be a theocracy. It's God says this is what's going to happen. And so the legal system is driven by what God has already said. By contrast, Roman law, and Roman law really is the basis for all of the Western European laws and legal systems, and ours too, is built off of it. I mean, one of the things I like out of Roman law is that you were that the Roman law required you to face your accuser. You, someone couldn't accuse you in the dark room, and then you find out, like it happens today in banana republics, your accuser had to face you, and there had to be witnesses, and you had to, ha you had to have a chance. Those are just some basic fundamental things out of Roman law, and we're used to that, and that makes perfect sense. I wouldn't want a legal system like they have in some third world nations, although I uh, will bite my tongue and not say too much more, but I think we're headed towards what they have for court systems now. You know, we're seeing more of that. I don't like the idea that they're trying to make people prove you didn't do something. If you think about it for a moment, this is just a little off the subject. But suppose someone came up to you after church and said, I know you went to Pizza Hut last night. And you say, I didn't. And they say, you prove you didn't go. They're putting the burden of proof on you that you didn't go. Now, I don't know, but I have never seen a restaurant or any place issue a receipt that said, I was not there last night. Have you? <laughs> but that's what they're trying to do in our legal system. They did this to Judge Kavanaugh when he ran. They said, you proved these things weren't true. That's like saying, you proved to me you weren't at McDonald's or that you weren't at Pizza Hut last night. They don't give me receipts that said I wasn't there. I can't do it. I can't show you that I wasn't. And so... That's what Roman law pre prevented, and that's unfortunately what you're seeing begin to erode in our country. But by, So Roman law is the basis of most of what we know. Now, in the, in the legal system, anybody that's, has anybody besides me ever watched Matlock or watched uh, Perry Mason? And I love all of the stuff and Perry Mason and the genius he has, you know, the stuff he could come up with. And he was, he was just brilliant. Well, you don't have the setup. There's an inherent simplicity. And you notice in the bottom of page 24, I put that. There's a simplicity inherent in the legal system. Today, if you were to get sued for something, anything, however frivolous it might be, you have to go, huh? Dog bite. A dog bite. Yeah. yeah. You have to. Now, if you're going to go to court, say, now, Scott, Scott, since you brought it up, you, you drive for FedEx, and you've probably been bitten by a dog, seeing as how all drivers for FedEx practically have to face that. Now, if you're going to sue somebody, what do you have to do to do that? I hired a lawyer. Hired a lawyer. Does that, was that cheap? Uh, well, you're working on a commission of the case. Yeah, but you see, he's working on a commission of the case, so if Scott gets $50,000, say, for that, what is your lawyer going to take, 40000 <laughs> 
Probably so. I mean, in other words, it's going to cost him a lot of money. Now, our legal system is, is uh, it's built, you know, really, let's be honest, folks. The legal system is built for lawyers. Because after all, if you look at the background of most people that go to Congress, do you know what their background is? The most common single background? I'll bet you couldn't guess. Lawyer. So when the laws are written, who do you think they favor? Hmm, no surprise there. Now, penalties, top of page 25 on our notes, the penalties for crimes we find in Exodus 21. Now, that's where we find there's, this is where uh, we've gotten our, our quote comes out of the middle of, of uh, Exodus 21. And those penalties are assigned because they will not, in the Millennial Kingdom, and they didn't in the Old Testament, have a Roman or Western European court system where you go into the judge and you have all this gobbledygook to go through and you have a bailiff there and you have to post bond, you have to do this, you have to do that. It takes money, it takes time. How come it takes three or four years just to get into court for something simple? Scott, how long will it take you to get in on this dog bite business? Is it going to take you a while? Um, well, it's been ongoing since October 1st. So Scott's already been trying since October 1st over some simple matter and he still hasn't been able to get in. Now, that's our legal system. That, that right there is a perfect illustration. Scott, thanks for sharing that with us. Now, and, and you didn't have courts and court systems and judges, but you did have something. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, and you can see what they did. And this is, this is simplicity. You know, I think if you get fair-minded people, a lot of times some of these cases that go to court, fair-minded individuals could solve them like that. But that's not the way the court system works. You have to gerrymander. You have to sit there and say, well, were you actually there on such and such a day? When, if you wouldn't be getting accused of something if you weren't there, would you? But you've got to go through the system. And I sat in a court a couple times when I was on jury duty. I was unfortunate enough to get picked and actually have to sit through a case. And they went through the silliest things. Were you actually there on such and such a day? Well, yeah, I was. Well, you wouldn't be being accused of doing something on March 23rd if you weren't there on March 23rd, would you? Why do you have to get up and say it? It's like, ah. Deuteronomy 16, before I, get, before I blow what fuses I have left that still work. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 18. You'll notice what it says. Judges and officers, you shall make thee in all thy gates, whither the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout all thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Verse 19, we'll throw that in. You shall not rest judgment, neither, neither shall thou respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Now, verse 19, I read that purposely. You, you see that word gift in there? Let's put it in modern English. You know what that is? Bribe. You don't take a bribe. You would not believe how many times there have been cases where the, the judge took a bribe. There was a prominent judge in Washington County, Oregon, years ago that was a real up and he was a real stick to the law kind of person. They caught him taking a bribe. Somebody built him a back patio for a favorable decision in a case. Needless to say, he might have got his back patio, but he also lost his judgeship. And I think I think he did some some time at the Hotel Gray Bar. You folks know what the Hotel Gray Bar is, don't you? A friend of mine who was a law enforcement official told me about the Hotel Greybar, and I thought that was a wonderful name for it. Food's not very good, Scott. You don't want to go to the Hotel Greybar. So... I 
I, li I like what Joe Arpaio did. If, if you're familiar with him, they, he had the, the menu. They provided bologna sandwiches for the inmates. I'll bet those people decided that they didn't want to come back to the Hotel Gray Bar. That was not exactly much fun. And he restricted their television to Disney Channel and something else, I think. Weather Channel and Disney Channel at Arpaio had. Yeah, no, that, no, that's one of the few people that's learned to use the legal system the way it should be used. But you'll notice that they, the judges and officers sat in the gates of the city. Now, if you had a fenced city or walled city, the gates were the entranceway, so it was a place where commerce, all business had to pass through there. So right in the heart of the business district, you had a judge setting. You didn't have a courtroom, you had a judge. You could approach that judge. You didn't have to wait six months. You could go up and get your, get your matter dealt with right away. Now, that's a whole lot better. Now, there's something else, however, because when you remember back what it said in, in, uh, back in Matthew chapter 5, where it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you, you, you say, wait a minute now. There, there's evidently pre-written pre laws. Now, when a Jew was guilty, when we look back at, and we didn't look back at uh, Exodus 21, we probably could look back there and see some of the things back there because there's some specific crimes or offenses and specific penalties. Now, it's, it's rather interesting, but a lot of times, I don't know if it's been true in Florida, but I know in Oregon they had, they had fits whenever they had designated penalties. When they had minimum penalties for something, lawyers didn't seem to like it because, well, you... You can't, you can't play games, you can't plea bargain, you can't do a lot of things, and so you kind of don't have much wiggle room if someone is... Uh, but let's see, uh, well, okay, uh, jumping into context, verse 12 of Deuteronomy, of Exodus 21, he that smites a man so that he dies shall sure to be put to death. Now, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a big court case there. Go to a judge, this guy smote a man, somebody was smitten. Or if a man lies not in wait, but... Uh, but God delivers him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place where he may flee. If a man, well, we should skip down. That's talking about the death penalty. And if you see in verse 17, and he that curses his father and mother shall surely be put to death. So you have, you have in through here, you have a number of crimes that were designated. The penalties were there. When you get down a little bit further in verse 24, you can see the, a, a simple illustration Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, verse 25. And so you can see that if you did something, there was a set penalty for it. Now, the nice thing about that is it was retribution, not retaliation. Now, there's a difference, isn't there? Think about it for a moment. What's the difference between retribution and retaliation? Well, retribution is whenever you want legally, you want something done of equal, like tooth for tooth, eye for eye. Somebody knocks your tooth out, the judge says, okay, knock his tooth out. He's getting back exactly. Retaliation is, you take it into your own hands, say, he knocked out my tooth, I'm going to go to burn his house to the ground. Well, that's retaliation. That's kind of like you're going over the top, or you might even kill the guy, and he knocked out your tooth. That's, so the law is going to prevent, this is the law for retribution, not for retaliation. And there's a big difference here, because retaliation is not something that you find in Scripture, but you do find the law provided for retribution for making things right. Now, that's something I would like to see today. Let's be honest, folks. When you look at our legal system, how much do you see retribution? Would you say it's retribution when someone commits murder 
and they get seven years in prison. Is that retribution? They took a life. They played God. You know, you can get more time in jail for killing a dog than you can for killing a human. You can. It's really strange. Retribution, we don't see it in our system. This system is so nice and simple. There are prescribed penalties for certain crimes. You do something, this is what you get. That's pretty nice. Now, something on the top of page 25 that might be surprising is whenever, this is point number two, whenever a Jew was guilty of one of these crimes, these crimes that are designated in, in Exodus 21, the people carried out the penalty in many cases. Did you realize that? Well, the first recorded stoning under the law, let's go back to Leviticus 24, and we can just read briefly, and you can see. Uh, th this was a case where the people that would be enraged by something that happened, if they were involved in some way, they, they would get the satisfaction of seeing justice done and actually participating in it. It's really a unique system. It's simple, but it brings a satisfaction of finality and immediacy. That's what drives me wacky in our system. Here again, like going back to poor Scott, if it was really something really terrible and traumatic for him, he's waited six months. If it caused him, say it did cause him physical pain or agony. He's living with it for six months and he's reminded for six months, nothing has been done. Nothing has been done. Nothing has been done. And most of us guys, most of us men in particular, I know I speak for my son-in-law back there. If it needs to be done, it gets done right now. And I think my other son-in-law, John, is kind of that way too. I'll give him credit. No. Well, my daughter, his wife says that's, that's, yet to be determined, but, but Troy and, and, and Brother Scott, I know from knowing them, if it needs to be done, it gets done now. And yet the legal system drags things out in this country. What's that? Good thing Jill's not here right now. <laughs> she would tell you otherwise, huh? That's the bad thing about having a wife around. She tends to tell the truth. I always try to tell people I'm such a well-behaved, innocent sort of a person. I, get, I start doing pretty well, then my wife opens her mouth or just looks like this, like, you do that while standing close to the pulpit? I'm backing away, you know. Okay. I'm hoping there's a lightning rod about But anyway, so, but if you look at Leviticus 24, the immediacy uh, and, and the involvement here and the satisfaction came if people saw a crime and they were able to participate in a judgment, there would be a satisfaction to them. And that's, that, that amounts to something. So let's Deuteronomy chapter, or Leviticus rather, 24 and verse 11, beginning at verse 11. Oh, I'm at 25. No wonder it didn't look right. helps to be in the right chapter. And it says, uh, And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him to Moses. And his mother's name was Shilamith, the daughter of Deborah of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward that the mind of the Lord might be shown unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that's cursed without the camp, and let all him that heard, that heard him lay their hands on his head, Notice, the ones that heard him laid their hands on his head, indicating we, we know who you are, and let who? All the congregation stone him. Now, there might have been some in the congregation who were upset about this guy doing what he did. And they got the satisfaction of seeing justice carried out and even participating in it. And thou shalt speak, verse 15, unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, Notice again, and all, not some, all the congregation shall certainly stone him as well as a stranger that is born in the land. 
So even strangers that aren't Jews that are born in, inside the land, they got to participate. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. Pretty convincing. Now you see how different that legal system is? There's sometimes when things happen, and maybe you've read about them or seen things, and there have been cases where you might not have even known the person, but your blood would boil that someone got away with something. Have you ever had that happen? Anybody besides me ever been upset when I saw something where somebody that was guilty as homemade sin got off with a very minor penalty and didn't get justice? Anybody besides me ever have had their blood boil about it? Well, if no one else admitted, I will say I've done it. Maybe you haven't, but I've done it. Well, this would be a case where these people, this guy blasphemed, if there were those that took offense, they got to participate in stoning. They got to have their satisfaction that seeing justice carried out, they got to be part of it. Now, that's simplicity, but there's a beauty in that. And you can see that contributes to a lot to the benefit of society and, and, the, and the peace of mind people have. Now, the second, the second recorded stoning, numbers, over in, in Numbers chapter 15. And you'll see once again, so these are, record, these are the recorded stonings. I don't know if there were any others, because if they're not recorded, there's no way for us to tell. But in the two that are recorded early, it's one thing is common, the congregation, everybody participates. So let's see, Numbers chapter 15, verse 32. And this one's pretty simple. And verse 32, And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks on a Sabbath day. Now today they would say, well, big deal. And they, and they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. And they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. And what? How much of the congregation? All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. So there you have it twice, twice the stonings for crimes. Now, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty, pretty remarkable. Now, there's an extreme example of how stoning worked, and this one is, let's go over to Acts. On the way to Acts, stop off just for a moment, and we're going to Acts chapter 7, but stop off at John chapter 18 for just one second, because I want to, might as well show this to you before we get there rather than come back to it. One thing that the Jews did not have under Roman law was they could not commit, they could not have the, carry out a capital punishment. They could not put someone to death. And the reason we're, we're stopping off in, in, Acts, in, in John 18 before we go over to, to uh, Acts 7 is to see this verse. Then Pilate said unto them, this is concerning Jesus, take him and judge him according to your law. The Jews said unto him, Therefore the Jews said unto him, It is not lawful or permissible for us to put any man to death. That was why they were there. The Jews didn't come to Pilate because they liked Pilate. The Jews had this wonderful tendency. They hated whoever, was there. whoever ruled over them from Rome, they hated them. They were very easy and very predictable. If it was Roman, they hated them. Nice people. <laughs> you, might, you might not be surprised if I told you that I read somewhere in history, I can't remember where I read it, but it was a wonderful quote where somebody had said that the Roman governors that were sent to Israel considered it to be the armpit of the empire. You know, in other words, it stinks. It was a lousy place to go because you knew the minute you got there, they were going to hate you. You could be a nice guy, they still hated you. You could do something for them, they still hated you. Real, real consistent, I guess you could say. But in Acts chapter 7, this one is, uh, this shows you something about what the people are like. Beginning at verse 51, and, and this, this, this particular stoning is just, 
This, this whole story is amazing. This is just a man's testimony, his defense for what he's saying. And when he gets to this point, uh, they, say when you, they say if you preach, you should expect results. And, well, I guess he got results when he got through this point. Because you'll notice he comes to his, he's coming to a conclusion. Verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did, so do you. Oh, wait a minute now. Is that, Brother Scott, did you ever preach that way? <laughs> I don't think I'd ever want to say that, you stiff-necked. Well, he, he did, but he's going to go on. Which of your prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain the one which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you've now been betrayers and murderers, who've received the law by the dispositions of angels and have not kept it. Oh, I think that would be upsetting words. I think, that, so we notice it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, you think he's done a good job? Watch what he does now that's going to push them over the top. And he, and he, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. These were individuals who refused to believe that Jesus was the I Am. They could not handle it. That was their excuse. They used, they were, under Roman law, they were not allowed to take a man's personal words and twist them against himself. But their conviction of him was when he said unto them that he was the Son of God, that they would see him in glory. And then, of all things, Stephen turns around and says, I do see him in glory. The very thing that they hated and did not want to hear. And so what happens? And they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. Now that's something when they, after the fact they're plugging their ears. I mean, that must have really been an effect. They, they didn't want to hear it again. I don't know what they were thinking, but they, and they ran on him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he'd fall, he fell asleep. Now, I don't know, Brother Scott, verse 60, would, could you have said, don't lay this sin to their charge? I, I don't think I would have said that. I, I think I would have said, Lord, give it to these people. That's interesting. It's interesting. But you'll see what happened is that this is how stoning was. The people took him out and they did it. Now, this was an illegal stoning, obviously, but it shows you what the stoning was like. Now, we're moving on from that point. As with the Mosaic Law, this is in the middle page 25, as with the Mosaic Law, the Millennial Law will not eliminate judges, but will use them for more difficult or controversial cases. Now, we're going to see uh, that in, under the Old Testament Law and even the Millennial Law, there's going to be cases where you don't have to have a judge, where the penalty should just be carried out. And in some cases, it should be carried out by the person who does the offense which is really different. I, I could not imagine that happening today. But you'll notice uh, a judge could rule in controversial matters ma involving monetary retribution. Boy, let's go back to Exodus 21 for a moment. Monetary retribution. You know, every time I see those signs along the, the, the highway, Dan got me so many thousands of dollars, something like that. I've seen over a million dollars. I think to myself, how much of that did they get to keep after taxes, for one thing? Because that is taxable. How much did he charge for it? And was there really something done that deserved a million dollars? I mean, the, the people that are there on the, on the, on the, on the signs and the, on the boards and the ads on TV, 
They appear to be whole in one piece. They don't appear to be missing arms and legs or hands and feet or blind in one eye or missing teeth. So how is it that they're getting $750,000, $500,000, million? How does it? Uh, well, in the millennial kingdom, you, and you're going to have, and in the Old Testament, you didn't have judges used for this reason. So in tw- verse, 20, verse 22, this is an unusual one here. It says, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, in other words, she miscarriage, yet no mischief shall follow to the woman, he shall be punished according to as the woman's husband shall lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So in monetary, you, you can see that because, boy, if, if, if people try to sue today, the woman that, uh, with the McDonald's coffee, that still is one of the most humorous things. A woman buys a cup of coffee. Now, when you go through a, a restaurant and you buy a cup of coffee, do you expect it to be warm or do you expect it to be hot? You know, you've seen signs. They say hot coffee. They don't say lukewarm coffee. I've never seen a sign that says lukewarm coffee. If I do, I'm going to take a picture of it. It says hot coffee. So here this person takes a cup of hot coffee. She puts it between her knees, and she's driving a standard transmission. So you're going to have the legs moving like this. Now tell me how, how likely it is that that coffee is going to do this and spill. If anything, the lady should have gotten, gotten fined for being stupid. But she got a million dollars. The point is that if people are allowed to determine what they get, they're going to ask for way more. So the judges back here were to keep it a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more sane. I wish they would do that today with these cases. A million dollars Puma gets for an accident? Now, I, I get, granted, I don't know the case. Maybe there was a reason. Maybe they had some huge medical bills. Maybe that's all it was. But, you know, from what I've seen and heard of people, they look at, it, at suing people as a way to make money, fast and easy money. It's like buying lottery tickets. People buy lottery tickets because they're going to get rich, right? Yeah, they get rich all the time. Well, if you go back and over to the next chapter in Exodus chapter 22, you can see that there are cases where parties would not be able to come to agreement. This shows you that they didn't always have to go in court cases. They didn't automatically sue each other and go to law and go and get in the, get in the docket and tie up the courts for months and months and months. But in verse 7, it says, If a man shall deliver his stuff, Exodus 22 verse 7, If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and shall be stolen out of the man's house. If the thief be found, let him pay double. But, now that's interesting there. Notice the thief pays double. He doesn't get off. Well, that would be interesting if that happened today, wouldn't it? Mm. But if the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he put his hand upon his neighbor's goods. Oh, in other words, he actually took them and hid them and claimed they were stolen. It says... For any manner of trespass, whether it be for ox or ass, for sheep or raiment, or for any other manner of lost thing, which challenges, which another challenges to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. Now there's an advantage to that too, that, that uh, prescribed crime. You know if you get caught what's going to happen. And there's no plea bargain here. The judge just says, you're it, you, you pay. You're not going to get out of it. There's one interesting thing you're beginning to see here. How easy is it going to be to get off? How easy is it going to be to uh, get a lesser penalty? Or how easy is it going to be to try and, and uh, get a break out of the legal system? Well, it isn't going to be easy because you have prescribed penalties, and that is going to keep them. Now, judges, uh, Deuteronomy, let's go over to Deuteronomy 19. This is another one that's, that's important. Because, boy, I'll tell you, if this were in effect today, 
with some of the shenanigans that have happened in recent years, and you folks know what I'm alluding to, with the liars that have come out and said things that weren't true, that they couldn't prove, and that they knew weren't true in the first place, I wonder if they would like to be under millennial law or Old Testament law. In Deuteronomy 19, verses 16 through 19. Let's see. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord and before the priests and judges in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness is a false witness which testified against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he thought to do unto his brother, so you shall put away this evil from among you. Could you imagine if some of those liars that tried to say things about, going back to Judge Kavanaugh, the horrible things they said, could you imagine if they did to them what they were trying to do to Kavanaugh? Ruin him financially, get him discredited. Wouldn't that have been fitting? I mean, that, that would have been what you call just retribution, just repayment. We don't have that today. Now, there is, there is one surprising exception, because we saw that there was a stoning for certain crimes, but there is one major crime. If you look over at Numbers chapter 35, this will give, you're going to get a... By the time we're done, if you don't already have it, you're getting a pretty good idea that the legal system back there was simple to use, but very effective. Unfortunately, it wasn't written by lawyers, so the lawyers weren't going to get rich. I don't even see any indication of them having legal counsel in the Old Testament. Do you know that? I, I don't see it. So, so Brother Troy and I could not have gone back there and opened up, you know, AB's, AB's Fly-By-Night or, uh, shall we say, Nocturnal Aviation Services, you know, Fly-By-Night. Nocturnal Aviation, I like that as the name of a law firm. Numbers 35, and this is about the cities of refuge. Now, we could go all the way back to the beginning of the 35th chapter, but for the sake of time, we're not going to do it. But the cities of refuge were set up so that if somebody killed another person, they could go to one of the cities of refuge until, and let's look at verses 24 and 25 here. It says, Then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood. Revenger of blood, a family member of someone that was killed, could go after the person that killed him and put them to death. Legitimately, no penalty, if that person had murdered him. But not if it was done by accident. And so, you see it says, and see the congregation shall judge, you notice it's the congregation in this case. Not just judges, but the whole congregation shall judge between the slayer and revenger of blood according to these judgments. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore unto him, uh, shall, shall restore him to the city of refuge, whether he fled. And he shall abide in, in it until the death of the high priest, which was anointed with holy, holy oil. But then there's, a, there's also, this is if the man's innocent. But you'll notice verse 26, But if the slayer shall come at any time without the board of the city, whether he fled, and the avenger of blood find him, within, without the borders of the city of the refuge, and the avenger of blood shall kill him, he shall not be guilty of blood. So it kind of is an interesting situation. If you read the context before, it says that this person that was innocent, it was, it was manslaughter, but it was an innocent thing. He didn't do it with intention. And you have today, you have what, murder, you have involuntary manslaughter and all these different, I don't know how many different things there are. It gets confusing after a while. Back here, it was pretty simple under law. You see how simple it was? You didn't kill him by intent. Or you did kill him by intent. That's simple. If you were innocent, a city of refuge, 
You stayed there, but you noticed it was the whole city. The whole city, the whole the congregation, all the people in that city got to determine whether this guy was telling the truth. If he wasn't telling the truth, they gave him the avenger of blood. And we saw in verse, down in verse uh, 20, 27, that, that avenger of blood, he could kill that person and not be guilty. He could carry out retribution. That's still not retaliation, that's retribution. It's a life for a life. But only if that person was guilty. Now you see that, that, that really... That really changes things. That really makes for a system that is fair. It's equitable. You know, because when you get these death penalties, now you have a, you have a panel of, of jurors, make what, 12 jurors? To get to decide when the case is all said and done? Well, if you have a whole city that gets to decide, how much more, how much more confidence would you have in a whole city getting to decide if this guy is guilty or just 12 people? I think I like the idea of having the whole city decide. You got, George Floyd riots... Yeah, well, that, that's... You can crowd pretty easily sometimes and get a majority. Yeah, if it affects them. <laughs> Fortunately, in the city of refuge, it was someone coming from somewhere else. Okay. So it was not a local that did it. If it was a local that did it, it might have been... Might have, you, might have, you might be right, it might be a much <laughs> different case. Now, uh, we're running out of time here, but we want to just look at a couple more things here. And point number four down on page 25... Establishing predetermined penalties leaves no place for inequity or favoritism. Now, lawyers don't always like that, but how many times have you heard or seen in a case where somebody is prominent committed a crime and they got a slap on the wrist and a fine and maybe they got a, you know, but now somebody else does it, a common person, and they get the book thrown at them. That happens. It happens a lot. All you have to do is keep up with some of these court cases with different individuals, different Hollywood stars do something and they get a very light penalty. But anybody else does it, ho, ho, ho. Lock the door, keep them in the prison. And you'll notice because, point number five, because the people carried out the sentences, there was no plea bargaining to gain lighter penalty. Oh, that drives me insane. You know what a plea bargain is? I put it in your footnotes down in, down in page... 34, and I don't always refer to them, but the footnotes are there for your benefit. But this one is worth reading in class. It says, a plea bargain is an agreement between a defendant and a prosecutor in which the defendant agrees to plead guilty or no contest. In other words, I'm not going to say I didn't do it. In exchange for an agreement by the prosecutor to drop one or more charges, reduce a charge to a less serious offense, or recommend to the judge a specific sentence agreeable to the defense. You're trying to get them off. And I've heard of plenty of times, there's been plenty of cases where they plea bargain. They say, well, it would take us forever to get through the court system. We've got a backlog of cases. it take us too long. We can get him on this. We'll put him away. He'll get five years. But if you went after what he really did, he'd get 25 years. Well, we can get him for five years. Yeah, but a lot of times they can't prove it. That's why they plea bargain. Well, plea bargain, yeah. In some cases, no, no you're right there. Carl pointed out. Yeah, Carl pointed out in some cases, and, and that, that, that probably is true, too that there are cases where they can't prove it, but they try and bring up those charges. And I can see why they would, Carl, because if they can get someone intimidated to see all these terrible charges, well, they'll, they'll admit to what they really did do, which could be proven. So it goes both ways, but I, I've, I've seen it where there was, you know, and it, and, and it may be, I don't know what the percentage is, but, but uh, I can see where this would take away the possibility, if you have prescribed penalties, 
you can't plea bargain for anything else. If you're accused of something that you did, you can't try and get out of it. Now, you could today sometimes in our legal system. Now, hurriedly, I just want to touch upon these things. We'll have to come back and... Uh, on page 26, we'll have to, from point E on page 26 about the millennial law will not encourage legal retribution. We'll have to start there next, next month. But for a moment, I just want to point out one thing. You see an illustration of how millennial law will work on a, on a day-to-day basis, a lot of it. And this, this, is, this is really surprising because this is not like what we're used to today. We've already seen, actually, in context, how millennial law works. Because if you look back at Matthew 5, 29, And if you write, I offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of your members should perish, and that your whole body should be cast into hell. Now, you, you do it yourself, and if you don't, it says your body should be cast into hell. Now, wait a second here. If you don't do it, you should be cast. Who's going to do that? You see, that's a passive voice. And, that, and words are important. Should be ca- In other words, the person doesn't do it, someone else is going to come along and take them to the lake of fire. This is in the millennial kingdom. Now, your answer to that is found back in Matthew 13, 41. And with this, we're going to have to stop. But I want you to see this because this is important to understand. Uh, the legal system is not going to fa- falter because you're not going to have a police force that can be bought off. You're not going to have judges that are crooked. You're not going to have lawyers that are shysters. You're going to have a system that's going to be absolute, perfect, righteousness, equity. It's going to be right, like it should be. Verse 41, Matthew 13. Now, he's talking about the uh, parable of the tares that are sown in the field. And uh, in verse 40, he says the tares are going to be gathered and burned with fire, and so it will be at the end of the age. Please notice the King James does us a big disservice. The word for age is often translated world. And that's because the translators apparently didn't believe in taking Scripture literally and didn't believe in dispensations and so forth. And so they made it world because they're hiding the fact that there is more than just one general judgment. They're not seeing what's in Scripture. Then it says, verse 41, the son of, Then shall the Son of Man send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdoms all things that offend and them that do iniquity. Now, that word for iniquity, uh, I was telling someone the other day that the word iniquity in the, in the King James Bible actually translates about 19 different words. 19, five Greek and about 14 different Hebrew words. So in the Old Testament, iniquity is just, pff, you're just going to have to get Esau if you, if, you, if you haven't got it, get it. And you can find out the letter and see what the word is and see what, the, what it really means. Now, in this particular case, it says all things that offend and them that do lawlessness. This is the word lawlessness. This is the word you have in 1 John 3, 4. It says sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. It's a convertible statement. So, them that do lawlessness or them that do sin. So, an overt act of sin, the police force, which are angels, are going to take people and take them to the lake of fire. So then nobody's going to get off. There's the, the, you, what you're seeing here is this is going to be a government that's going to be completely righteous. You might wonder, who would not like that? Well, we'll have to talk more about that another time. But the human race isn't going to be the people that like this. It's by and large, in a millennial kingdom, you'd think they would love this. Perfect righteousness, those that sin, they're gone. 
But you'll notice that the rule of thumb is if you commit an offense and you know it, you take care of it right then and there. Boy, that would be a lot more simple than some of the stuff we have to do today. Much different. So I think you're beginning to see that, that by not taking the, the Sermon on the Mount literally and by not seeing what it says, we miss a great deal of what God's Word has to say. We wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't understand a lot of things about the Millennial Kingdom. But when we take it literally, now we're seeing some of the laws. And now you're seeing that this system is going to be a lot simpler. You're not going to have all of the contraption, all of this legal system built up where you can play games, where lawyers can do this, and can do that. It takes months to get to trial. You have to prove all sorts of things. Were you actually there on the, the day? Well, you, you wouldn't be being accused if you weren't there. You know, just little things like that along the way. And all of the time it takes to get there, all of that's going to be done away with. It's going to be so much simpler, so much simpler. The thing I like about it, the thing it means the most to me, and I hope it does to you too, is we're actually going to see for once on this planet things done right. Righteousness is going to be the day. It's not going to be a question of whether it will be equitable and fair at the trial. It will be. It will be because God is going to see to it. I'm thankful for that because we don't see that today. And so if you get a little upset when you see things happening, happening today, just remember God's going to take care of it all. And he's going to change things for the better. Because when we get to the eternal state, righteousness is going to settle down and feel at home. We're not going to have to put up with this anymore. I hope you're looking forward to it because I sure am. I sure am. Being like Christ, being in that environment, that's the thing I want more than anything else. Well, we're on overtime and, and they don't pay overtime here, so we're going to have to stop. But let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we are thankful today. We're thankful that we live in a country that allows us wonderful freedoms. But we're thankful even more than that, that we're citizens of a place that even, it's even better yet, a place where there is no unrighteousness, the heavens. We're going to be part of that. And when Christ returns for the church, we're going to be made like him. And we're going to be righteous. And there's not going to be a court system. There won't be one because there won't be any reason for it. There won't be any need for it. We're citizens of that land. And we know, Father, one day the Son of God will have government on this planet that will be what it should be for the first time. It will be righteous. We're thankful for that, Father. Encourage us now and bless in the service that follows, we ask in our Savior's wonderful name. Amen.